Good evening, you're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Guma, and joining me to unpack your stock-related questions tonight are Drikas Komring from Capicraft and Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective. Uh, please be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za, or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. Uh, markets are anything but upbeat today, except for that resources uh, 10 complex on uh, the JSC uh, today. I actually want to, is it all the U.S.? Because we've had, um, you know, investors kind of getting jitters about the uh, tech stocks uh, where they're disappointed uh, with one division or another uh, on Alphabet and on Meta. But then uh, you also had, I guess, good, good economic news coming out of the U.S with GDP uh, surprising to the upside. But, uh, Drikas, would you say that the market is taking all of that as bad news, even the good news of the U.S. GDP? Well, you should uh, take the GDP figures with a grain of salt. Um, a lot of that is government spending and running deficits of 7% of GDP outside of a, a crisis or wartime is, is, is not a healthy prospect. So take that. Uh, GDP figure, um, you know, uh, together with the fact that they're printing large deficits at the moment. Uh, so government spending added, I think, 0.8% to uh, the quarter's GDP, third quarter GDP. And then a big swing in inventories. Inventories can swing from one quarter to the next in, in different ways. That's about a 1.5% swing. And that can swing back in the next quarter. So you can subtract that from uh, from you know any real gdp growth that you you think the us is uh, experiencing and thirdly um, a big one is investment spending but almost all of it came from fixed investment spending in the household sector so people are building houses why because the market is frozen people are on selling their houses because that then they'll be locked out of their three and a half percent four percent mortgages um, so the, the housing market there is frozen and that means that um, building permits are up and people are building houses. Um, so that's that's a bit of a, a short-term, um, uh, let's call it, um, yeah, uh, movement in the market. Mm. And then what what how does the market un, unfreeze uh, the, the housing market in the US? You st it, it happens with job losses. You can't keep your house if you lose your jobs. So continuing claims, uh, U.S. Uh, um, insurance claims, workless, uh, what do you call it, uh, un jobless claims. Yeah. Uh, continuing claims is up four weeks in a row now. So there's a bit of momentum behind that one, and it does look like the labor market is deteriorating a bit in the U.S. So it takes that fourth quarter GDP with a lot of, uh, a lot of salt. Yeah, that, that's really, really interesting, uh, you know, as you put uh, that number into context, Rodriguez. Uh, Graham, uh, on your side, in terms of these tech stocks, because, I mean, both Meta and Alphabet uh, beat analyst estimates on earnings, um, and then investors are just reacting to, for example, Alphabet, their cloud business, uh, and then to Meta on softer advertising uh, so far this quarter, and also the the... the the loss on uh, reality labs. And I'm just wondering if maybe the market is not overreacting considering that these are just pieces of the business but not the overall picture? Well, I think in the case of, of Meta, um, they're also guiding that they don't really expect the, you know, the advertising picture to change. So it looks as though, um, you know, the trends in, in, in 
in advertising and digital advertising seem to be shifting. Um, but I think the, the big, big thing here for me is, and the data is probably a week old, but um, you know, let's say a, a week ago, the S&P 500, I think on a one year view was up 12%. Um, the, 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 the fangs, let's call them, accounted for about 10% of that with the broader, the other 494 shares um, accounting for 1.3. So I think the, the, the market has sort of said, well, part of it's probably AI boom, but also there's a, um, I think the market is looking for, for growth and, and they may be feeling that some of these tech stocks give them sustained growth, even in an environment where maybe traditional cycle, uh, more cyclical sectors come come under pressure but i think the problem that 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 we foresaw and i think it's coming through now is the valuations were lofty so obviously they've come off but they are still lofty and they are particularly lofty considering some of these shifts that are taking place for example in digital advertising so no i don't think it's overdone i think i think the world is desperately trying to to get its arms around global growth. So maybe just adding to what Rikus was saying, I think I don't think it was it's just a US GDP thing. I think right now, if you look across the globe, um, some concerns about Chinese growth. Obviously we know where Europe is, the ECB obviously pausing, and we've got a lot of tension in the Middle East. So it's quite a lot with the for the market to deal with. And you know, Rikus and, and I we sort of we can only focus on one thing at a time. Well sorry, because not you. I can only focus on on one thing at a time, and that's the market's view. So I think there's just too much for people to deal with right now. Uh, um, but I do think that the tech stocks are still vulnerable to to a sell-off, but maybe the broader market, if you look at the Russell, for example, has already given back uh, yeah. quite a bit. So I think the techs are vulnerable, but the broader market may not be quite as vulnerable in the U.S. Ah, all right. We're still talking about that uh, broad market. Um, there is a question here. I have funds invested in the Satrix S&P 500 and a small amount that I just started to invest in the Vanguard S&P 500 that I have in my U.S. share account. Do you recommend that I transfer the Satrix ETF funds to the Vanguard? Is there an argument for indirect versus direct offshore investing? Trigas? Yeah, I prefer to go directly offshore. Definitely, rather than just having your Satrix 500. But if you do a bit of both, I don't see any harm in that. Just know that, you know, with the stroke of the pen, the, the Treasury can change the the rules r- around, you know, how, how much institutions are allowed to hold in um, in offshore, um, you know, uh, amounts. So that will determine the amount of products that they can sell uh, locally. Uh, I don't see that changing in the short term, but that's always a risk longer term. Uh, if there is, should be a fiscal crisis in SA for some reason, and you know it's it's increasingly li- likely, then uh, the first thing to stop, the first thing to um, happen is you get um, you get exchange controls, and a lot of the leniency that we've seen on exchange controls the last few years will reverse very very quickly. So it's better to get your money out rather than um, use asset swaps, etc. But if you do a bit of both, um, there's not too, harm, too much harm in that. Uh, but um, right. um, don't, don't only buy ETF, please get some active management and, and don't have to, a too US-centric portfolio. Uh, Graham, uh, what's your view? Uh, Trika says that it's okay if you do both, but he prefers a direct uh, offshore exposure uh, on this. Uh, what's your view? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is one of the big attractions uh, for those that, that are proponents of uh, things like trackers, like the S&P 500, 
is the costs. Um, my guess is you're going to pay considerably more for the South African-based equivalent. So I would imagine Vanguard will charge you a few basis points, whereas maybe the Satrix one might charge you 40 basis points. So I think that's a consideration. But I would agree with, with Drickus and everything he said. I think not too US-centric. The fact that global markets are skewed towards the US is not a, a good encouragement to do that. I think better better general balance. And um, and yeah, I, I would agree with the with the rationale of taking your money out if, if you can, because I, I agree, you know, we've been quite lenient. And I personally believe, you know, the increase in, in foreign um, investment thresholds for funds, for example, is one of the reasons why there's so little um, liquidity and so little appetite for small and mid caps um, and even some of the smaller big caps in our market. So as Vicar said, you know, uh, it was given and it can be taken away. Um, so those mechanisms are vulnerable. Direct is is a better option. But I would also agree, you know, don't just go and buy yourself an S&P 500. Maybe build one or two active, uh, active value funds or, or something that just gives you something different because, you know, um, Indices can, can behave strangely for quite a long time. You just have to look at Japan as a case in point. Yeah, all right. Uh, there are question, there's a question for you, uh, Trikas, and then another one on the same stock. Uh, Kamiko, if I'm uh, saying it correctly, uh, Trikas is bullish on uranium and in past programs has picked a Kamiko and a uranium ETF Eura. Has Trikas got a medium-term target for these stocks? Would he advise buying more at current prices? Um, and there's also another one, took my profits on a Cameco, but still holding it at uh, 69% gain, watching it uh, closely, but asking if uh, what is an alternative stock or ETF for the long term. Uh, so uh, Cameco, um, Drikas, do you have a medium target uh, for Cameco and the uranium ETF, Eura, and would you advise on buying more at current prices? Yeah, sure. So the uranium market, I'm still very bullish on, but that's on on the the yellow cake itself. So it's better just to buy yellow cake, the the um, closed in fund, or uh, Sprott also has a, a physical uranium trust. You can buy those, then you get direct exposure to uranium. It's low risk. Uh, you know, it's only um, access to the the price of yellow cake uranium U308. Um, but the equities, uranium equities, are mostly overpriced. The one that does offer value is Kazatom Prom, but there is geopolitical risk in Kazakhstan. Um, it has sports uh, a fairly, uh, um, yeah, uh, good dividend yield of about five six percent. They should increase that, but once again, geopolitical risk. And then Cameco, it's difficult to have a price target. Uh, I, I don't think that the current price actually is justified where the uranium prices are. I think it actually prices already more. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, uranium prices going forward. But the problem is that's almost one of the only entries that institutional buyers has into into the market. So, uh, you know, th there was a time when um, uh, gold miners were perpetually overvalued. Uh, and this might be the case for Cameco as well. That might be the only institutional entry point and it might be perpetually overvalued. So it doesn't make sense just to get out while it's overvalued, while there's still a structural bull market in, in Iranian. Ah, just sticking with you, Adrikas, uh, the second question uh, on the uh, viewer that took uh, their profits uh, uh, on Cameco, watching it closely, but what is an alternative stock or ETF for the long term? Uh, any stock or, or any Iranian space. Mm, in the, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so in the Iranian space, is basically Sprott's physical Uranium Trust. Yeah. 
all right. I mean, at this point, um, uh, looking at the viewer, um, Graham, that has taken profits on a chemical, uh, would you be providing an alternative uh, stock or ETF in the long term? I will yield to Vikas's uh, knowledge on, on uranium. Just listen to what he says. Uh, let's get to more viewer questions. There's one on Afrimat that uh, came out with its interim results today. Graham, I'm coming to you. Uh, the cash from operations decreased by 24%, while revenue increased by 9.6%, which means Afrimat sold more on credit. And perhaps the reason receivables increased by 34%, is it something to worry about that there are increasing receivables and it's not clear which segment these receivables relate to? Well, I think the, 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 the only question there is, is around, around the, the timing and whether, whether the, the people they've sold to are going to pay or not. If they're going to pay, then you know, it's not really um, such a, a, a big deal. So I wouldn't be too concerned. Remember, the business is also, and some of it may just be timing issues, so... The business has transformed itself from, you know, a, a fairly simple aggregates business, you know, to a far more um, diversified business with with mining interest, and and that might 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 explain some of it. So, you know, simply having an increase in a in in, in a debtor's book is not necessarily a bad thing. It's when that debtor's book is is not lacquer that you you'd be concerned. So, I, I wouldn't be specifically concerned about about that right now. Yeah, all right. Uh, and just on your side, Atrikas, I mean, what did you make of those uh, AFRIMAT results, uh, assuming that investors did cheer the numbers today? Yeah, well, uh, iron ore has become a big part of uh, AFRIMAT's business, and uh, and also there's the coal business, and that, those have done well in uh, the previous year or two. But in the last uh, reporting period, unfortunately, and over the last year, iron ore prices have dropped, dropped quite a bit. And um, and I think the rise in or the the, the yeah the rise in the share price the last few days has got um, a bit less to do with the results today and more with the iron ore price that's perked up just a little bit on um, Chinese stimulus hopes. Um, but but I do think the results were priced in. You know the share price have been come has been coming down, and on a relative basis, if, if you just you know compare the price of Afrimat to some of the diversified miners which on that diversified BHP bulletin and the likes are very, very iron ore heavy, um, then Afrimat is, is, by, is out, you know, it's outperforming them by far. So uh, I think some of the better capital allocators out there and, um, you know, actually not a bad set of results um, with, in, in this environment. Ah, all right. Well, thank you also for putting that share price movement into context for us. Uh, let's go into Omnia. Uh, Graham, coming to you. What is your take on uh, Omnia? Do we look at upside or downside potential in the medium term? Well, I, I would I would argue it's looking quite quite cheap if you look at the if you look at the the, the forecasts. Um, you know, like so many companies on the JSE, if you look over five years, it's done absolutely nothing um and even if you look over 10 years it's considerably lower than it than it was um obviously it's been a it hasn't been plain sailing um but if i look at the 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 forecasts if i look at the multiple it's looking to me to be quite cheap so um my my gut instinct not that i'm i'm incredibly close to it my gut instinct is that they still produce useful useful products um, that are, are required not only in South Africa but in the region, and um, 
yeah, I would I would argue that um, that the current price is looking cheap relative. You know, if you look at it from a PE point of view, you look at the history, and if you assume that demand for the underlying, you know, the, particularly the the bigger um, product silos is going to improve, then I would I would say yeah, I, I think it's looking to me to have more upside than than downside. And that's probably been borne out. If you look at what the share's done over this year, it's been in a fairly tight range. Um, and Rickers can, can testify. There are a lot of good companies that are actually considerably lower in spite of the fact that, you know, maybe they've delivered operationally. So, you know, for a company to be holding up um, or trading in a band for this, you know, 2023, I think is pointing to the fact that, that maybe the market is getting a little bit more confident in, in, in the business model and management. Yeah. What someone also uh, did point out last week, um, I mean, they were saying that they wouldn't necessarily go into Omnia looking at uh, AECI, which is kind of in the in the same uh, bracket, that has actually outperformed Omnia. Adrikas, uh, I mean, would you be looking at any of these two? Yeah, I think both are, are cheap. Omnia is maybe more peer play to the, to the agricultural sector where AECI uh, as more industrial and mining uh, customers uh, and products. So I think Omnia is more a peer play um, fertilizer company. Uh, and yeah, I think ammonia prices is the big driver here. Ammonia prices is down about 50% from its 2022 high. And um, obviously that was uh, um, thanks to the war in, uh, in Ukraine. And um, and again, you know, ammonia prices have picked up a bit the last few weeks, but still 50% down. Uh, if it stays here, Omnia should, you know, chug out decent profits, decent cash flows, uh, and and it's priced quite quite decently, sub 10, e, 10 PE, even if you pencil in uh, an interest per share drop. But unfortunately, that's where most of the SA market is. So it's you know it's um, if if we knew for 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 certain that these companies will rewrite to previous multiples, then. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Unfortunately, we don't know that. We might be in a situation where the SA market is is perpetually priced lower due to the the political risk environment, etc. Um, so it's difficult. It's difficult out here. Um, the the changes to REC 28, as Graham uh, earlier alluded to, has been a major driver in uh, in in uh, you know a withdrawal of liquidity out of the mid cap and small cap space locally and omnia has been a victim of that as well um, mm-hmm. absolutely so a lot of value in the mid and small cap space in ESA. Mm-hmm. and uh if you if if you haven't allocated to these sectors at all then um i might suggest taking a fresh look at it uh, all right. Um, someone uh, sent a question on richmond i got out of richmond at uh, 3300 rand would you feel that it would be worth going back into, Graham? Yeah, I'd, I'd say very, very well done. Um, you know, in our fund, we we played the the warrants, um, which gave some some nice upside. Yeah, it's come back a lot. Um, obviously, there's some anxiety um, around in terms of demand for luxury goods and, and the, the level of, of gearing to um, to um, to let's say global growth, particularly in some of the emerging market um, markets, I think it's looking it's looking good. I mean, you must remember this business spits cash. It's got a portfolio of assets, um, or, or, or you know the the, the Maisons and the and the, the watch brands. Um, you know, if you look at the prices there, they're not terribly um, 
I don't believe terribly driven by what's happening um, at you know European GDP level, for example. It has an effect, but I would say definitely I would I would start looking at at them again. It looks cheap. I mean, if you just look at how much cash they're still sitting with, and you know they spit cash. So I, I would say you can you can definitely start looking at it again. But having said that. You do get the feeling that world markets, I think, as Rickers was saying in his in his introduction, world markets are definitely trying to recalibrate, and you get the feeling that there's a lot of anxiety around. So I think yes, it, it's looking a hell of a lot cheaper, obviously. But um, on the international stocks, I would be be patient. You know, maybe it's shooting fish in the barrel locally, but internationally, um, you've seen how this giant, which is such a an amazing business, has come off so so massively. And, you know, it's nothing to say it can't lose another 20 rand in South African terms. Hmm. Um, Drikas, would you say that this is a good game plan and also just an example of perfect timing? Yeah, and, and the rand also played a role earlier this year, you know, pushing up to new highs. And on the flip side, what's pushing it down now is higher yields, as is it's pushing down a lot of quality stuff. So if yields stabilize around these corners, now I'm lying. If you stabilize, if the US 10 year stabilizes just below 5%, that, that's a financial accident in the making. <laughs> if you strengthen back to, say, 4 4.5%, that saves us um, maybe a, a while, and then some of these shares will definitely re rate. So if you haven't got anything that's, that's yield sensitive, you might you know, put that into your portfolio. But um, yeah, I, I would just be sitting on my hands with most of the stuff, this international stuff at the moment, mm. and uh, look at the bond market. Very interesting question. Uh, would it make sense for ShopRite to buy out Pick and Pay, Gray? <laughs> well, I'm sure um, I think Mobrak would love to buy it at <laughs> you know, 25 bucks, but I think the competition authorities might have something to say if... Uh, if uh, you know that the, the giant and the efficient operator that is Shoprite went and took out a major competitor, so you know, not in a month of Sundays would would this thing get through the competition authority. So mm. I don't want to be a killjoy, but I don't think it's a debate really worth having. Yeah, Drikas, would you do you think that this uh, could be a target pick and pay could be a target for anyone at this point? No, not not a local, um, mm-hmm. not a local retailer. Maybe also retailer. Like we saw with Walmart coming in and buying Massmart, yeah. it's not impossible that a, that a, that a global retailer comes in and, and and you know pick and pay needs equity. They they can't fight, they can't be competitive with the balance sheet that they have. They just yeah. can't. They they need an equity injection. So it's not impossible that a mm. that an offshore player comes in, um, buys in on the cheap, um, and they and uh, and they, they give an equity injection into pick and pay and maybe even rebrand the company to an international brand. I don't know. Uh, It's it's possible. Ah, all right. Well, gents, let us get to your stock picks for today. Graham, what will it be? I'm going to go with one I've never, ever called before, which is Mondi. And, and, um, I mean, we know that, that, in fact, we just got Q3 the other day and and the the, the earnings are basically halved. We know this is a difficult year. Um, You know, prices are are battling and, and costs are going up. But, you know, you've got a, a business that um, I think is very much positioned for, let's call it the, the new economy. Obviously, you know, good old boring packaging business, but I think they've got a, a foot in, in, in the, you know, in this new e-commerce world. Uh, it's got a good balance sheet. Um, 
The reason I've never called it, I've, I've liked it, but I've liked it from afar. It's always just felt out of range. Now, under 300 Rand, you know, you need to understand this financial year, the earnings are going to contract by circa 60%. Some good reasons, some bad reasons. They're out of Russia now. That was obviously a good asset for them. But I would say, you know, this is a really good global business with a really strong balance sheet. Um, I think demand and pricing will come back for them. Um, but, yeah, um, I would argue at this low price, there's probably uh, quite a lot of upside in uh, what is a really well-run and well-positioned business. Yeah, all right. Triggers on your side, what will it be? MGN Group. So, um, no, this is one that you should get your timing on right. But longer term, you know, they're growing subscribers, they're growing ARPUs um, with regards to the fintech business, MasterCard. Is, they're doing a deal with MasterCard. They're doing a deal with, I think it's with Sunlam. Um, so it's a fintech company. It's becoming a fintech company. They've just, um, there's a bit of a price war locally and Vodacom has just been slapped over the wrists about, you know, um, cancellation fees or something of the like. So I think there's a lot of negatives. One is Iran. If they've got a business in Iran still, I believe. And then there's the Nigerian, um, uh, you know, exchange, uh, FX uh, um, chaos at the moment. So a lot of negatives. Um, Perfect time to buy something that's growing long term, that decreased decreased their dollar debt a lot, and Mastercard will do the rest of it. You know, the Mastercard deal uh, buying the fintech business, uh, or, or part of the fintech business rather. And then it's sitting now at the EV EBITDA of, of about three. Looking forward, I think this this is this is very cheap for a growing asset. Obviously, frontier market risk, whatever. Um, but if you can put this one in the bottom drawer, I'm sure you'll come out ahead five, five years from now, uh, ahead by a lot. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your analysis today, gents. Really appreciate it. That is all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guest, Rikas Komring from Capicraft and Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective. I am back with Stockwatch tomorrow at 1 p.m. After this, I bring you the close. Stay with us. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.